0: If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John one we'll be reading verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 11. 1 John 1, 1 through 2:11. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message we have heard from him If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we're in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, But an old commandment which you have had had from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother... Is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we come to your word this morning to take our fill of your wisdom. We know prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God, from you, as they were carried along by our, your Holy Spirit. Our prayer is that you will unlock for us the knowledge of you and your wonderful plan of redemption and guide us into deeper and deeper pools of wisdom. Help us to know you better, that our lives might bring glory to you. Hear us in Christ's name and bless us through his works. Amen. Now, as strange as it may seem, this sermon is derived from the whole book of 1 John. This book of John was written to refute the errors of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was an error that said Christ didn't come in the flesh. They claimed he was a spiritual emanation coming from God that could be seen but not touched. John wrote this letter to prove the incarnation of Christ. So we can learn from this letter about the incarnation and about how you should apply its teaching to your own life. The apostle begins this letter with with the doctrine of God's holiness. In truth, you could say the phrase, God is holy, is the complete summation of the message Christ brought into this world. It's a message with great implications to all of this world's inhabitants. It's God's holiness which makes up the foundation of the true doctrine of salvation, which is justification by grace through faith alone. For a sinner to be reconciled to a holy God, he must come through the cross of Calvary. God is just. He will not violate his own law for anyone. He decreed that anyone who disobeyed would die. All men have disobeyed. All men are deserving of death and subject to imprisonment in hell. How can God then justify any of them? To justify his people from their sentence of death, he sent his only begotten son into this world to live the perfect life required of all men. His son offered that perfect life on Calvary's cross as an atonement for the sins of those God gave him. Because he lived a perfect life, death could not hold him. He was raised from the grave and defeated the enemies of God, making a show over them by his ascension. Through these glorious acts of grace, those called by the Father to the Son are saved from the prison of death and the curse of sin. He gives to them the gift of faith and clothes them in his righteousness. They are thus made holy as he is holy. In this epistle, a very important question is raised. How is it possible? For a Christian to have fellowship with a holy God, to enjoy him forever, and to have assurance of such a relationship. I think the apostle makes clear the answer to this question is to be found in this letter. He says as much in 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He declares you can be sure of your relationship with God. Could you ever have a more glorious hope? As we begin, we shall first consider why God sent Christ into this world. We shall observe he was sent to reveal God's holiness as expressed in his human flesh. Christ came to show you what true holiness really is. He came to dispel any idea of human holiness as being pleasing before God. He teaches that you will sin, but that's not the right path to follow. He also tells you what God's purpose is for your life and to show you how he provides a way of forgiveness for your sins. Last, he will reveal that it is only through complete reliance on God and on Christ that can bring you into this wonderful offer of salvation. John's expressed purpose in the first words of this letter is to show the eternal word Jesus Christ as the second person of the Triune Godhead. He reveals that he came into this world as the incarnate God-man. Jesus was not, as the Gnostics claimed, simply a ghost he was real. He lived in, in the flesh as a man. The Apostle stated this, in, this way in John 1.14. He made his dwelling among us. Jesus came and lived with men as a man. The Apostle John affirms that he and the other disciples are credible witnesses of these events. The Gnostics taught that all human flesh was evil and all spiritual things were good. Therefore, they said, God could never touch flesh and thus would never have taken it on. John refutes this with his testimony of Christ's life in the flesh. First John 1, 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our own eyes, we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it. And testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John says he and the other disciples were there. They touched Jesus. They looked upon him with their eyes. They heard him with their own ears. Their collective testimony is that Jesus Christ was truly the eternal God-man clothed in flesh. Jesus came down from the Father in heaven with a message. The message was a clear revelation from God and was contained in the words and character of his Son. John declares this to be his message, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. This message declares that God is bright, pure, and holy beyond compare later john will tell you in chapter 4 about this great act of love given through jesus christ this act was his wonderful and marvelous sacrifice he came into this world he came to be the propitiation for your sins to be the atoning sacrifice for you a sinner first john 4 10 this is love Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 8 says, whoever does does not love does not know God because God is love. He shows that Jesus was so much the perfect example of love that he revealed that God is, in fact, love itself. In revealing that God is light and love John shows you what the foundation of holiness really is. When you consider what righteousness, goodness, and purity really are, you must then stop and consider God. For God is the true, he is the perfect standard. And that standard is revealed to you through the flesh of Jesus Christ. It is essential that you, as a believer in Jesus and his incarnation, Understand, God's holiness is the very foundation of the true gospel. If God were not holy, there would be no need for a sacrifice from sin. The reason you needed a sacrifice for sin in the first place is because sin cannot enter God's presence. It's because of God's holiness that you as a sinner are without hope. You are forever cut off from God by your sin and completely unworthy in his eyes. The only thing you will ever receive from God in your sinful estate is his wrath. John says there are two basic groups of men shown in this scripture. 1 John 1, 5 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. These two groups consist of, first, a group that claims to be sinless. They think they're without sin. They think they're God's equal. The second is the group that recognizes their sinfulness, sees their need of a Savior, and that Jesus Christ is the only possible Savior. Here is the real struggle within humanity. Some men see themselves as equal to God. Others recognize they are completely unworthy before his great holiness. The Gnostics taught that you could be holy in spirit and it didn't matter about your flesh. You didn't need to concern yourself with trying to keep the flesh from sin. Therefore, they declared themselves sinless based on their idea of their spiritual perfection. This idea is still very much with men, men declaring themselves perfect before God. Even in the greater circles of what is called the evangelical church today, some continue to declare they are without sin. John says these men are liars in whom there is no truth. These are men who have heard the truth and despised it with all their heart. They have tried to rewrite God's word. They want to make themselves the final word of this on their salvation. They claim to be saved, but there is no light in their hearts. They are full of darkness, and they engage in the deeds of darkness. John questions how anyone who walks continually in the darkness can have the revelation of true light in their heart. How is it that a man can, in the face of God's holiness, continue to claim he is without sin? How can they accept those who kill babies, who commit homosexual acts as followers of God, When the scriptures clearly declare such things to be sin. Is not the holiness of God sufficient to rebuke all who live under such a deception? Yes, it is. For men to stand and act as though they are perfect is the greatest act of self-delusion there could ever be. These men can stand and claim their own holiness, but they will never know and enjoy God for themselves. John makes the contrast between these two groups for you. He tells you God sent his son to show that sinners can live in fellowship with the holy God. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. There is a twofold concept in the lives of sinners saved by grace. Those two concepts are holy living and complete dependence on God's grace. These two ideas are the foundation of the Christian life. You cannot have a healthy Christian life without the presence of an ongoing reliance on the work of Christ and advancement in personal holiness how are you supposed to balance the two of them? The scriptures tell you to take great care to avoid legalism, self-righteousness, and insecurity. They are also declare that the only way in which you can do this is through the proper emphasis on God's mercy and grace. It seems obvious to me that the church must put a greater emphasis on holiness. Here is the problem faced in this dilemma. John says, you are growing, you are going to sin, for everyone does. Yet he also says, I don't want you to sin at all. This is the hard part of John's logic. John wants you to understand it's up to you as a believer, with the help of the Holy Spirit and God's word, to work out the details of how These two things, holy living and complete dependence on God's grace come together in your life. God is holy. And because he is holy, those who fellowship with him must be holy also. He is light, therefore his people must be in the light as well. Is this not what makes the world so mad at Christians? They live by a strict moral code. The thing this world misses is that this life should not be a rigid and legalistic nor just superficial conformity to rules. It has to be an attitude of dependence on and desire to please God who has so loved you. It's a moral standard, a moral standard that should be followed, but followed out of a deep love and appreciation to God for his gifts of salvation. John says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The promise of the believer to God is to love him as the one to whom you now belong. The thing you must understand is this idea of commandment keeping is not bad, nor is it hard to do. It is what, God, what loving God is all about. This love for God is an active, warm, and very real thing. It is manifested through a desire, a desire to please God for the glory he revealed in your salvation. This love can be displayed through your life. You need but live the kind of life Jesus lived. 1 John 2:6. whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You must live a life of obedience. How are you doing in this walk in this Jesus walk? Are you able to do it? None of us are able to do it perfectly, but we do the best we can out of our love for him. You must guard also against legalism. Always remember you have never been, nor will you ever be perfect in this life. In fact, you must understand you're not required to be perfect to demonstrate that you're in the faith. John made clear in 1 John 1.10 that to claim perfection is itself a great sin. The concern here is in this commandment-keeping is the attitude of the heart. What's your attitude toward holiness? How do you think about your life and its relationship to Jesus Christ and to God? Do you have a heart desire A real heart desire to please your God for the kindness he's shown towards you in Jesus Christ. Commandment keeping is to be the fruit produced by faith and the direct evidence of election in your life. In John, 1 John 3.10, you're told, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Neither is anyone who does not love his brother. These are the distinguishing marks of a believer to love God and to love your brother. You can only do these two very important things by being obedient to God's commandments. What was the purpose behind God sending his son into this world? If you consider the purpose of salvation as ordained by God, I think you can see the bigger picture. God is concerned not only with the salvation of men from the penalty of sin but also with the recreation of each individual saved. It's not just a matter of you get saved. There has to be change. They are to be made into a new creation. This recreation takes place from the inside out, beginning with the heart. This is what the prophets of long ago promised. In Jeremiah 31, 33, 34, you are told about the new covenant and its changing of the heart. In Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, you learn the cleansing that will bring a new heart, a new spirit, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here are God's purposes in salvation. They are set forth in the prophets of old and fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. With the establishment of his church through the forgiveness of sins, there comes an establishment of a relationship with the Father. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we all want? To have a good, solid relationship with our Heavenly Father. There is also a recreated humanity here. That new humanity expresses its devotions by keeping the commandments. John sums this up in 1 John 4.19 when he says, We love because he first loved us. He also says in 1 John 2.5, God is love. God's love is truly made complete in the one who obeys God's word. This is how we know we are a part of him. This tells you that the purpose of God is set forth by the prophets. is to be fulfilled in the individual who possesses love and holiness which are the fruits of God's great electing love. Love and holiness are are then also seen as the work of the Holy Spirit and providing assurance to God's people. Do you have assurance? If you got Christ in your heart, are you believing and trusting in him, placing all of your hope in him? The way of salvation is Jesus Christ. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You've got to believe and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. There's no other way. In John 2, 1, he writes that you should not sin. Yet you still sin, no matter how hard you try to avoid it. It's a very grievous thing for a believer to sin. It is a burden for the true believer to disobey his God. It gives the devil opportunity to present himself as an angel of light and to deceive. It destroys assurance and in general can make life miserable. But in the wonderful promise given in the coming of Jesus Christ, there is an answer even to this dilemma. John says you must come walking in the light. This walking he speaks of not just living a holy life, although that's a very important part of it, It's more than just that. It's the continual application of the benefits of salvation to your daily walk. How many of you really think about that? You know, it's something I realize I don't think about enough. The salvation that I have in Jesus Christ is to have a continuing fellowship with God and to be continually cleansed from sin by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You trip up and you sin. What can you do? You can immediately turn and confess your sin to God, ask Jesus Christ forgiveness, and he will be faithful and just, and he will forgive you. You are continually washed, washed in the Christ-shed blood. You will never be able to be clean without that foundation. You must see all that is life to the believer must be anchored to the cross of Jesus Christ. You're justified by Christ's life, death, and resurrection victory. Your sanctification is produced by God's continuing grace as you study and grow in his word under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Through understanding of your complete dependence on God's work in your life, you grow and prosper in your relationship with God and with his people. John makes it clear makes it very clear in chapter 2 that believers will continue to sin he says if anyone does sin and immediately he directs your attention to christ sin for you in all of its selfish and ugly darkness should not be cause for utter despair in your heart john is continually directing your attention back to the beginning back to christ coming You as a believer are saved from the penalty of sin because Jesus Christ came into this world to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived the perfect life. You're called to live. Scripture wants you to live that perfect life. You can't do it. Christ did it for you. He died the atoning death to forgive you for your sins, to bring that forgiveness to you that you could never get on your own. And he won that resurrection victory, overcoming death, which is your greatest enemy. So that you can live with him for eternity. You're invited to turn to God and confess your sins before him. The devil may be active and may be struggling to to offer you other things. He may be placing all kinds of discouraging thoughts in your mind. But, as a believer, know because Jesus came into this world that God is faithful and just. He will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness through the fountain of Christ's blood. Does this not fortify weak faith? Doesn't this make you feel stronger when you realize it's Christ that has done all for me? I didn't have to do it myself. Christ was there to do it for me. The forgiveness of God is founded upon the work Christ did for his people. Your hope then must be first, last, and always in Jesus Christ. Not in Christ in in the church, not in Christ in your works, but in Christ Jesus alone. You look first into your own heart to see the sin there. Then you look to Jesus Christ and see the holiness of God and find in Christ the promise of God to cleanse your sin and make you his child. Isn't that wonderful? He's going to take us into his family. My friends, it is a thorough and complete work that has been carried out by God in Christ Jesus. He is the sacrifice given by God for the sins of his people. He is also the heavenly intercessor who stands in the presence of God the Father on your behalf. He's there witnessing for you, testifying for your faith in him. He is described as the righteous one because all his work depends on his holiness and the flawlessness of his character. You must never forget his character. You must work at showing your love and appreciation for what he has done for you. How do you do that? How do you do it? You do it by emulating that character in your life. You are walking as Christ walked. God in sending his son shows you that your reliance, or if you will, your assurance, must be in him and in him alone. Through all of the process of salvation, God glorifies himself. Please understand this. There is never a time, never a time, when the believer can find any cause within himself to be secure. Assurance comes only from reliance on God. Because the believer must continually be relying on God for his spiritual well-being then, God must be at the center of, of all his attention all the time. As a believer, you will live your whole life in the shadow of the cross. You will never mature to the point that you can stand spiritually on your own two feet. You get that? You'll never be good enough to stand on your own two feet before God. You can't do it. In fact, you should never even desire to do it. If you can be secure, You can have assurance only as you embrace the complete work of Jesus Christ. You must hold to it, and you must hold to it daily. For there is no decree of sanctification that will ever relieve you of your need for the undergirding grace of Jesus Christ. This, my friends, is how you fulfill your purpose. This is how you achieve the chief end. You are given by God to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You cannot glorify and enjoy God without a proper assurance of salvation. It is your total dependence on God that brings him the glory and allows you to enjoy the blessings of your relationship with him. In conclusion, let me tell you what the coming of Christ should mean to you today as a believer. You are called to live your life with an attitude of humble confidence. You will be humble because you are aware of your own moral failures and your own inability to gain anything from God by your own actions. You can be confident because you know God acted in Christ on your behalf and continues to act every day for the same reason. The work of Christ provides you with the way to come to God's throne in confidence knowing that he will accept you because Christ makes you acceptable with his blood. Once you are washed in his blood and look within yourself, you find a new heart. A heart not of your own making, but one created and sovereignly planted by God in you, a lifeless sinner. It's a heart that yearns in spite of your failures to be like Christ. From this new heart, you will begin to see all is being made right with God. You will develop a sense of satisfaction and wholeness because Christ now lives within your new heart and you have been made alive and adopted by God. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, You have given us a sign of the redemption of your. you shall provide. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You sent him to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. This is how we can recognize your spirit. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from you, O Lord. Receive us in his name and grant us your grace and help our faith to grow. We pray this in Christ's name.